So for the first like two weeks of the theme park, no one was actually paying to get in. It was free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I jacked it right These up to like, te- <laughs> to like 10 bucks. And they weren't happy. Welcome to the Well Played DLC podcast, Australia's juiciest gaming podcast. I am Zach Jackson, joined by James Wood. Howdy, gamers. Nathan Hennessy. Welcome back. And a very, very special guest, Checkpoint Gaming's Elliot Attard. How are we doing, fam? Oh, How welcome, are welcome. you going, sir? Yeah, I'm all right. This is, uh, I mean, I record a lot of podcasts, but never a Well Played DLC. I mean, this is special. Oh, this, is, this is fun. This, this is, is exciting. You can put this on your uh, on your resume. I, ca- I, I hear it's Australia's <laughs> juiciest gaming podcast. It is. It is. It's very, very juicy. James and Nathan, how are you guys? Doing very good around the it. traps. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Two different answers there, but oh, yeah. <laughs> James, are you excited for Don Brocco in a, in a couple of nights? That would have Mate, already I have been, been well, that hasn't already holding happened. out for it. God, I feel like yeah. we've been having this conversation for yeah. weeks. Yeah, well, it. by the time this is out, it would have... Uh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, we will be well and truly Brocco. So, how was it, guys? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Recovering. Elliot, are you going to uh, Don Brocco on Thursday night in Melbourne? Uh, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Mm, is this, is this the correct answer? Is this a sports thing? Also, the a... correct question. <laughs> uh, it is a band. It is a British uh-huh. alternate rock metal band. Yeah. Uh, that sounds right, right. right. I kind of think yeah. they're like a bit, a bit of a punky satire thing going on. Yeah, true. Yeah, they're not that punky though. No, not. no, no. But I mean, like, it seems like they're poking fun at the shoulder at times. They do some odd things at times. That's that's for sure. But they're they're a blast, and the show last night was amazing. I <sighs> can already tell. Ten out of ten. Yeah, I love memory that. of a lifetime. Ten out of ten, Elliot. Nice to have you on. Are you excited to talk video games? I talk a lot of video games and uh, it is what I'm best at. People tell me that apparently. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm super keen. I'm here. I know there's been a big release that we can talk about as of today. <laughs> so this we'll is very exciting. Very, very shortly. I'm sure it's going to be delicious. Yeah, I'm already fading off this energy. Let's get into it. I'm chomping at the... <laughs> Neck? Steak? No, champing? Like <laughs> champing. I think it's champing. Yeah, it might be, but... Stop reading so many books, James. Let's get on with it. <laughs> Let me bogan English it up. All right, so let's talk games that we haven't been reviewing. Elliot, what have you been playing in the last week or so? That's not for review. That's not the big juicy game that we're going to discuss. Uh, so I've actually been playing a game called Beton Brutal. I don't know if uh, anybody's around this. Sometimes I'd like to jump into a bit more of a, your obscure release. This is like a newer release. I think it came out Feb, maybe March. Um, didn't get much hype or talk around release. Um, understandably, because it is an incredibly niche kind of product. But uh, there started to be like a little bit of buzz from certain communities who are like, okay, no, this is cool. Um, and basically the elevator pitch for Beton Brutal is that it is this incredibly difficult first-person platformer. 
Right, so this um, this takes me back to my teenage years where I'd play a whole lot of like Source Engine games um, that were like modified for like your climb maps or your surf maps or your bunny hop maps or whatever. That's exactly right, exactly what this looks like. Yes, I'm so glad somebody else gets that reference because like That's what I, I spent a lot say, of time. To it. <laughs> Take that. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time playing games like this, and uh, this specific game, the premise, real easy. You have to climb 500 meters high but there is absolutely no safe state. So you can at any point be 400 meters in the air and fall to the ground and, and that's it. The, the climb <laughs> starts fresh. It is harrowing. It is ludicrous, um, but it finds ways to be really, really cool. And so, I'm excited for people to check it out potentially. So I'm having, having a... For any reason? Sorry. Uh, you're, I mean, life is just one big climb, isn't it, Zach? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, I was just going to say. So I'm just looking at this on Steam, and it's it's totally evoking all those memories of playing on those those modded sort like CS maps and stuff like that, where everyone's just climbing to a peak or around <laughs> obscure corners and stuff. But it's like they added VR and multiplayer to this. They'd have a sickening winner on their hands. Uh, I do not want to be first person VR platforming. No, that you sounds don't. Sounds nauseating. <laughs> yeah, that would be mad. But yeah, it is. I mean, it's ultra punishing in the in the same way that something like um, getting over it with Bennett Foddy. I don't know if you remember that <laughs> game, but it was the, it's the exact same concept. It's like, hey, here's like a super ludicrous hard challenge that some players will just want to put themselves through. Um, and and in this game, I mean, the gameplay feels good. It is just a first person platformer, but it feels really fun. It feels like those Source Engine games. So like it felt right to me. The muscle memory kicked in again. <laughs> um, and then it just does some really cool things with kind of playing on the, the horror of, you know, not just the, the potential fall and like the trepidation, but like legit horror things. Like you'll turn around and suddenly there'll be a silhouette. It's like, oh my God, I didn't know this was this kind of game. <laughs> it, it, uh, it tricks you a lot. And, uh, and it does some unique things that are, that are pretty cool that I wouldn't want to spoil. Nice. And that's just on Steam? Mm. Yeah, I don't think it's on anything else. It, it, it feels like one of those niche indie Steam-only style titles. Definitely a yeah, mouse cool. and keyboard thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. $10.25. She cheap. Yeah, nice. Cool. Very good. Uh, James, have you yeah, been mate. playing anything else? Have you had time for anything else? Oh, not at all. It has been obviously a very busy couple of weeks for old, old mate Jimmy. Um, <laughs> no, I have uh, I had like an hour to jump into, I'm going to platinum, uh, Jedi survivor. So I got to fuck around in the like post story, um, world of that game and just really pleasant to be back in it. It continues to be amazing. I keep finding new things that I wish I'd been able to mention in my review. Cause it's like, Oh, this is magic. This is magic. But, um, no, nah, it's, it's good shit. It's just nice to be in a star Wars world that works. Not on PC well, works then. for me. Unfortunately for, yeah, that's, that's the problem, isn't it? It's strange. Cause like my, my, I never had any real major issues. And then like to see the performance of it at the moment is, is, is just a bit of a bummer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So how do, well, no, no, we'll come, we'll circle back to that, uh, a bit later. Nathan, mm. you, what are you, uh, what have you been up to? <sighs> like it's almost been, it's work, work, work. It's content, content, content. The one little respite I've squeezed in between is a little bit of Picross on Switch. Oh. So Zach hasn't heard of Picross, so the quick elevator pitch, I suppose, is that it's kind of like a Sudoku type of puzzle in in an obscure way. So it's an abstract kind of numbers game like Sudoku where you eventually build out like a pixelated image. 
Hence now, they've the made a lot of these games at this point. Yeah, there's what? Like, is there a specific Kickoff you're playing? Uh, yeah, look, funny, funny that. Um, just just season two because apparently at some point it was the cheaper one on sale, so I just picked up season two. But I actually started these games with the um, with that one that was based on this system, the the murder mystery visual novel that name eludes me. That's what got me hooked. So there's a there's a like a Phoenix Wright type game where in order to discover your evidence and stuff like that, you build <laughs> out the evidence by filling out a Picross sequence, uh, and that that was just. That was my heaven for a good couple of months. So, yeah, I've gotten the bug sense. It's a nice little relaxation puzzle as I'm winding down for bed. It's just yeah, Sudoku nice. for the kids. Cool. Never been a fan, but uh, I'm glad you're <laughs> having fun. <laughs> you don't strike me as a Sudoku guy. Are you no. a crossword guy? Uh, every now and again. I'm more of a word search kind of guy. Get around me, I say. Hey. I see you doing the uh, footy crosswords. Oh, I used to really like off topic, but you know, fuck, what's that game that they did? Real po- Wordle? That was oh, old Wordle. Mm. Cubbins. Uh, Are you surprised to learn that's had a board game adaptation recently? <laughs> no, not at all. Cubbins. Mm. Um, uh, no, I. Um, sorry, they made an AFL player version of that. So you had, like, guess, like, the silhouette of the player. Uh, I don't kind of what, like, what it was called. But James Hurdle, I imagine. Something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Um, oh, what? I didn't even get Zach to laugh. That was... James Hurdle. James Hurd? James Hurdle? Yeah, yeah, I got, I got it. I didn't I even elicit it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> get better. Get better. You get, mate, I'm a hard... I'll keep trying. I'll keep this, trying. This is That's a, it. It's a tough crowd, Elliot. It's like my dad he's, all over he's again. He's really harsh on jokes. You should know that. Uh, you. Everyone should know that. Famously. Oh, <laughs> uh, fuck yeah. Um, now I know like what it's called. Warpool, which is actually a, a player name. Again, Hurdle. Ah, oh, yeah. Killing me. All I right. should rename. Uh, so I have not played much at all because I actually went and met my niece. Yay, congrats to me oh, over the weekend. Uh, very very exciting. Um, so shout-outs to her. Big so, fan of the podcast. So she took priority <laughs> um, to what? She took priority, th- so basically everything. Uh but what I have been playing, uh, the only thing, and I'll get straight into the content, uh, as I've been playing Park Beyond, the preview of that. And I am fucking hooked. Yeah, uh, tell us. <laughs> so this is a, like a, a sim park. No, not sim park. Um, Rollercoaster Tycoon. Yeah, Rollercoaster Tycoon type of game from Bandai. And I actually don't know who's developing it, but Bandai, uh, I think, are the publishers. Ooh, it's an Comes out in June, I believe. There's a closed beta on May 9. Um, yeah, so I've had access to the game for maybe 10 days, but I've only managed to sink like six hours into it. The first night that I played it, I had no clue what I was doing. I could not get my uh, test roller coaster to work. I couldn't figure out the buttons. I was tired. I was like, no, nah, this game blows. Came back the next day, finally managed to sort out the actual instructions, got through it, and now I'm just, that's all I want to do, like right now. I just want to play Park Beyond. So uh, it, it's got a, like a little campaign. You play as this person that makes uh, theme parks and this person basically sees your talent uh, after you make your t- tutorial level and then basically gives you a job for this theme park company and your first job is to restore this rundown, abandoned theme park. And that's basically where I'm at. 
and I'm making I'm making bank, boys. I am. People are loving <laughs> loving the rides. Uh, not a fan of the um, the coffee prices. Though. I did I did jack those up. Uh, and so there's like you can control pretty much anything in this game, like price wise. So I'm um, I don't know if that was what it was like in Rollercoaster Tycoon, but you can basically install like food shops, burger shops, kebab shops. You can pick what they sell on the menu. The more things that they sell, for example. So if you have a shop and there's like eight things that you can choose from, if you sell all eight things, your service speed is impacted. So if you sell half of them, for, ex- for example, the service speed is a, a lot better. Sure. Same with drinks and stuff like that. And you can control each each price point for each drink and uh, each shop. So it's not like, I think there's an option to sync it across all the shops so that if you have like four kebab shops, you know, they're all the same price. Set up a franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like uh, roller coaster rides and stuff like that, uh, ticket pricing, uh, which is pretty obvious. But actually, when I built it or when I was playing with it, uh, I clicked on a couple of the rides and they had already like preset fees. Uh, turns out the theme park itself doesn't have a preset theme, uh, preset uh, fee. So for the first like two weeks of the theme park, no one was actually paying to get in. It was free. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then I jacked it right These up to like, ten, <laughs> to like 10 bucks and they weren't happy. But um, <laughs> well, no, that's a two-week free ride, mate. <laughs> and, then, and then inflation hit and I put up to 15 and oh, I started okay. to lose I started to lose people. So I had to pull it back to, to 12. Uh, I've now installed a couple of cool new rides and stuff and I've whacked it up to 13.50. So and what, nice is, what is your coffee now, price? I think it's like 5.50. Oh, um, you're part of the problem. I know, right? I know. Um, and that's just for an ex- uh, there's an you can do you can sell an espresso, a mocha, um, some Why'd latte. Why'd you giggle at the mocha, mate? because uh, KS is fucking loves his mochas, mate. He is a white chocolate mocha boy. Oh, God, I hate him. I hate that guy. White chocolate um, mocha. Yeah, right. Well, best man. Um, turmeric latte or something like that. You can there's like a turmeric thing. I think I slapped seven bucks on that bad boy. Yeah, well, no one's going to buy it anyway, mate. So, anyway, but there's, uh, yeah, you can you control tons of stuff, and like right now, I've still got the bait. Like you're only sort of just getting the basics. I've only just got um, staff and stuff like that. So for the first ages, there was like I had like tons of bins, but like no actual like janitors or the cleaners and stuff. So it was Mm. fucking rubbish everywhere. (laughs) Um, You learn some life lessons. We're slowly, yeah, well, you know, as part of the thing, you do it for a few weeks. Well, there's basically objectives you got to hit, right? And I just kind of kept playing. I didn't actually just, hit, like, one of, like, the objectives, which, which was, like, build four rides that's, you know, uh, appeals to teams because you can choose who you want your park to, like, appeal for. And I went for, like, a sci-fi theme. So we've got, like, an alien-themed park. Um, yeah, so I think I just kind of let it run a bit too. You know, I was just watching that cash come in, mate. I was... I was uh, good, but um, yeah, I'm ha- having fun. I'm having fun. Just caught caught up in the carny fest, mate. Yeah, you got That's the look it. of you. You got the look of someone that would have been <laughs> in another life. Maybe yeah, I would have actually. <laughs> and I, a very uh, for work, I had to go to Swinburne. I think is yeah, sure. Swinburne. Yeah. Uh, what's those open days or O week or whatever it's called like that? <clears throat> um, and yeah, so I basically took, I, I bought like one of those, you know, those plastic, not plastic, those basketball rings that you would uh, attach to like a fridge or like a door, you know, like the small little balls mm. and you'd, I, was, I took like one of that and I took um, 
uh, some other game and uh, basically people were just lining up, like all these like foreign exchange students, all these people were coming up and I was just having the best time just getting people to play this fucking basketball game. And then um, I told them that I played football. Uh, AFL, we had all these like mini footballs from like where I work and I was signing them with like my name and giving them to all the kids. Like, it was fucking great time. Great time to be alive. <laughs> Uh, so that was that's, my, uh, that's been my week. I'm pleased that you shared that with us. That was lovely. Yeah. It was a fun time. I'll be honest. I, I zoned out during <laughs> the theme park talk and then I zoned back in for that. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, I do have no, a couple cheers, of questions. Mate. Yeah, no, you're welcome. I have a question and a statement. The statement is that kind of sounds like the, that kind of give you small goals to work towards as the game mm. gradually unfolds. So you not get overwhelmed, which is something I loved about like two point uh, campus. I thought that made it a lot more approachable but the thing that often stings me with a lot of these games is i can't grok their ui i don't find their interface very intuitive so how did you go about navigating the interface Most, on this? so the ui itself is actually pretty good and uh, when i say you can customize everything as well there's all this like financial side of it that is right now it is overwhelming it is you can look at spreadsheets you can look at every little detail for every single bit of anything that you've got in your theme park so you can look at how much a toilet is making how many visitors that that toilet has have how many are you charging people for toilets i don't know how how very european (laughs) (laughs) it's just there i don't think i've got any fees on them but maybe there's a preset fee um i don't know but um i find the user interface for the general game quite good i find the i'm still kind of getting used to the building of the actual the roller coasters is and i don't know if it's a, I don't want to say a buggy build, but I don't know if it's the build, but every I built this wicked, bloody sick ass roller coaster. It was it, it was alright, um, but um, then the game kind of like spazzed out, like went like a bit wild, and it built like into the fucking car park and all over like all these <laughs> other like rides, and I couldn't like you can't like undo. It was like set. So I basically spent half an hour building a roller coaster and it whacked it like, because I was trying to like zoom around and get like a better picture, like, like a better view and it zoomed into the mountains. And then by the time it came back out of the mountains, this fucking roller coaster was, God, it was <laughs> all over the theme park. And I had to basically restart that whole. Well, there's no dismantling these things. You either live with you the can. wild it's roller coaster. you went for the alien themed theme park, mate. It's like a parasite. It just expands. Well, well, see, on the alien things... Of it. I can't figure out how to actually, unless I haven't got access to it yet, I haven't can't figure out how to do uh, stuff with like the terrain. So when I built this like alien themed energy drink shop, which apparently teens love it, so I was like, yeah, got to have that. It like built it like into the ground. So it was, <laughs> the shop was half in the ground, right? Oh, that sounds cool. And then I go there. Yeah, but you can't get into it, mate. Wow. It's like making it's work like for it. In the game, so yeah, every other shop. Famously every, love breaking into <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every other shop is like. Well, yeah, the guy's like head is like poking. It's like a dugout. <laughs> Pennywise um, from it. And yeah. then I built two. So I was like, fuck that. It's obviously a thing. So I tried to build something else. And then I went back to the shop and I put it down again and it went into the ground again. But when I got rid of it, it left a huge bloody uh, hole in the ground. Like crater, yeah. So. There you go. Charge people 10 bucks to jump in the crater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, no, but I'm having fun. Yeah. So no, but I think the general, the user interface for all the other stuff, cause it's, yeah, like I don't talk too much more about it, but yeah, there's, it's pretty simplified. Um, but you can also dive into like, 
more number crunching kind of There's stuff. There's depth think, there if, if you, want, if you yeah, want it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which I haven't really taken too much notice of yet. I'm just doing the basics still. That sounds really promising. I thought I was going to hate it. Not hate it, but I was just like, I just don't have the time this kind of game needs. And the and Steam then, images don't sell much of it, to be frank. Like, I don't yeah, think I just, this game's visual impression by its Steam nah, page and shit's very appealing. Nah, I don't think it's like, a, you know, you don't play this game to get you know, sick visuals. Uh, you, uh, you know, you play it just to get addicted and build sweet theme parks. Living that carny life, yeah. That's it. That's it, mate. My uh, ancestors will be proud. So... I also got to dive into a game that we've all played. Elliot, you are reviewing it for Checkpoint. James, you have reviewed it for Well Played, and that is Redfall. Yes. Redfall. For a second, I did have a moment. I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's already left. It's gone. No, look, here, look let's... It's let's, parked beyond that right. bad, is it? No, let's... <laughs> all right. Uh, Redfall, yeah, so this is from the, uh, the folks over at Arcane Studios, uh, under Bethesda, who are under Xbox, um, this is ostensibly a, uh, a true arcane experience, I think was the marketing tagline I kept, kept seeing sort of around the place, uh, pitched as a, you can play the single player or co-op, uh, open world first person shooter with some arcane elements apparently, um, <laughs> Set in the small town of Redfall, Massachusetts, uh, there is a nefarious um, evil corporation that I forget the name of. They are experimenting with blood Avian. and... Avian or something? Yeah, yeah. A, yeah, that sounds something right. Yeah. Uh, they create vampires. Um, these vampires assert themselves as um, kind of like a weird metaphor for the, the ultra wealthy. They become gods, they inspire violent cults, and they seal off the town of Redfall. Uh, you choose one of four playable characters. You've got an array of powers and some guns, and you go out and you fight vampires. That That is the, the core premise of Redfall. Um, it is, it's strange. I opened my review with this, but I feel like leading up to Redfall, there was so much discussion, so much sort of intrigue about what is this game? You know, what is the actual sort of like core loop of Redfall? Like what arcanisms are going to be in Redfall? And then you get your hands on the final product and it's just, it's so astoundingly simple. Um, it is just a very basic bare bones open world co-op shooter um, that doesn't do any particular one thing very well um, and winds up feeling just like a total wash of an experience that for any other studio, this would be a, a blip. It'd be a nothing. We, we wouldn't be talking about it. it. It would just come and go as a, a, a steam game that, you know, you kind of look at and be like, Oh, did that reuse assets or something? It's, it's, it's that kind of experience, but because it's from arcane, it has this expectation attached to it, which is not unfair. You know, this is a, a major um, studio with a major publisher and an even major tech corporation behind them in turn. It is understandable that people expected this to be an arcane game and, and at least a fun video game. And it, it doesn't achieve either what you'd want from an arcane experience or even what you'd want from a first person shooter co-op experience. Um, it is just sad to me. Um, and I, I don't really know what to do with it. Uh, I got to the end of writing the review and I just felt bad. Mm. Well, Elliot, you reviewed it, but you and I also went and played it for a uh, preview month ago or so about that five yep. six weeks ago um and you said it before we hit recording but the slice of gameplay that we got in that preview was um it was the best mission the best of, the game. of the game yeah absolutely i uh, i rolled credits on redfall probably about a few hours before we started this recording so timing is perfect for me um 
yeah, you're right, Zach. We 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 got flown to Sydney. We got to check out this thing. Um, Redfall was always like super high on my anticipation list because number one, Arcane, and number two, Vampires. And I don't know why, but I've always had <clears throat> a thing for Vampires, especially Vampire the Masquerade, as as like a franchise. Um, I love the idea of what you can do with vampire lore, what you can do with that style of enemy as like this kind of fodder villain that has actual intelligence, unlike, you know, like your zombie style villain, for instance. Um, and, and to Redfall's credit, you know, some of the best stuff it does do is around that lore. It's about inventing their own vampire. You know, as you said, James, that kind of um, metaphor for the ultra wealthy, like that's kind of cool. Like I didn't expect them to go that angle. Um, and you can see some of that in the early stages of the game as well. When you boot it up, you see those gigantic waves that are towering and literally locking you in. Some of that supernatural stuff, the sun is blocked out um, by this presence that has totally eclipsed the sun and allowed vampires to roam throughout daylight. Um, all of that stuff is really cool. And, you know, we first got to hear about all of this lore and all of that promise when we went to this preview event. And then that was backed up by what I believe to be the best mission of the game, which was this mission, um, and it is in the first map of the game, so I'm not too worried about spoiler territory here, but it basically allows you to um, ransack the Hollow Man's mansion, um, the Hollow Man being the first of the Vampire God bosses. And as you go, you get to... You know, it's this cool melding of gameplay and narrative because you are listening to these echoes, you are finding out the backstory of these of this character, and, you know, eventually in the game, these echoes as an idea get boring. But at this stage, it was, like, really cool. Um, you know, you have these sequences where you come across this dollhouse and you realize the dollhouse is ref a reflection of the mansion you're in, which is a bit of a puzzle because you can figure out where the locations of where things are. It's, like... It's a cool mission. I really liked it. Um, and I walked away from that preview going, sick game. Like, they did it. They found a way to make a multiplayer experience fun, even if you're just there doing a, a single-player kind of style game, which is what we did in our preview. Um, and then and then you play the, the damn thing, the final release version, and it feels like the biggest bait-and-switch in the world because, you know, that one mission that I thought was reflective of the whole experience was reflective of only that mission because all the other missions are pretty generic fetch quest or defend the area or whatever. Uh, and most of them, you finish in a couple of minutes and you're fast-traveling back to the base and then accepting a new mission and fast-traveling back out and beating that mission and then fast-traveling back to the base. And you're like... Why am I playing this thing? I don't know. Was that your experience too, Zach? Yeah, I haven't played as much of the final game. I've played it. I've probably played enough. Um, but yeah, what I wasn't, I was hopeful in in the preview, optimistic, and I, you know, I came away optimistic because um, I thought this is actually not too bad. Like I'm, I had fun because um, you know I wasn't really sure what this was. It's not really the arcane game that I want but it's an arcane game that I've got. So, you know, might as well make the most of it. Um, but yeah, and then playing it, the final game or, you know, the release, I was like, yeah, this is not good. Not not fun. Like none of it was fun. It looks ugly as well. I feel like it's an ugly looking game. Like it has that little bit of arcane uh, visual style, but it just looks a bit shit. Um even uh, if you compared uh, it to the the first Dishonored, the first Dishonored has such a, a yeah. much more distinct art style. This is yeah, nothing. like I feel, I feel like they make muddy work, 
for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. Here it just looks, well. Muddy. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you yeah. love this, Nathan. So I, I told, mm. told <laughs> Anna that uh, we couldn't play Dead Space for the next couple of days because we've got to play through Redfall. She's like, oh. All right, is it AAA? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's AAA. It's all She's good. She's asking the proper questions. <laughs> <laughs> we booted up within like five minutes, just getting off the boat. This game looks shit. April <laughs> says the same thing. Like this game, she goes like, "Isn't this AAA? This game, like, the, like the graphics aren't very good." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah." And even you know, it's not just a raw graphical issue either. Like I, I think that it's art direction swings wildly between, you know, it's open world is incredibly bland. Oh, to yeah. look at. It's just kind of like a pretty standard take on American town. It's characters are also like egregiously over-designed. Like everything feels lab grown to be capital C cool to me. Um, like I, I don't feel like there's an organic sense of this world of its, its cohesion. And then you add on top of that, you know, the way that it tells its story through, which to me was one of the most shocking things for a game of what I assume is this budget is that it's just still images with a color filter over oh. the top as someone narrates to you what the, the next plot scenes, beat yeah. is going to be. Notice like it quickly. is, it was so strange to me. And then, I mean, the writing itself is also just not at all what you'd expect from Arcane. I thought that, you know, like you said, Elliot, like there are some like cool nuggets in this world, but the moment to moment dialogue is just not particularly enjoyable. Yeah, character lines repeat as well. And um, you'll hear mm-hmm. that 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 new style of like, oh, we're so cool. We're so sassy. Like I'll drop an F-bomb yep. here and there. And it's like, ah, just like, for instance, I, I don't know what characters you, you two played or you three played, but I played as Jacob and he'd constantly refer to his Raven as like shitbag or... Like, you know, and it's like, okay, cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I played as Layla and there was a lot of, um, and, and it, okay, this is often a joke that a lot of people say. And so I know I'm going to sound like I'm exaggerating, but like legitimate moments where she would just be like, uh, am I shooting at a vampire? <laughs> I guess I am. And it's like, well, like the, uh, well, that just happened. Like, please don't do this every single time something happens in your world. Because like, you know, Forspoken, I think, got a bit of a shit rap for this because I think that that game does take itself a bit more seriously than people gave it credit for based on the clips that emerged online. Redfall are in, is entirely those clips. Like, it is just uh, a bit grating. Mm. Before we dive into some more aspects of it, Nathan, what you've played a few hours, but what, what's been your thoughts so far? So I think my my thoughts have, have descended pretty rapidly. I started Optimistic. Uh, when I jumped into the world, I was uh, a little bit puzzled. One of the first things I noticed is the amount of things you could interact with that I'd be expecting of a, of a, a arcane game was pretty slim. I'm just picking up a lot of what I would guess is survival crafter fodder pick things up, transfers to either a currency or some material. And so there's no real interaction there. I'm just I'm just picking up fodder. And then when I get out into the world, that survival craft uh, impression didn't leave me. Like it feels very much like, um, it looks and feels like a lot of battle royales and shit that I've played lately. It's like, like James said, it's your everyday sort of middle America town with no character in it. Like you go through a house, you might expect to see some kind of environmental storytelling, but it's all very muddy, low res, no reflections, no character. The game distinctly lacks character. That's one thing that also really struck me. Um, But then I was like, okay, all right. Not thrilled, but I I just want to start shooting. I want to shoot. I want to feel some good feedback. That's that's probably where I'm going to, mind the pun, sink my teeth in. 
So then you you know you start seeing these cultists and you realise the game introduces stealth to you via some text pop-ups immediately. Like before you even see your first enemy, it's like, oh, by the way, would you like to consider stealth as an option? And then you realise that enemies will either quizzically spot you halfway across the map, even though they're not looking at you, or they just, they're right in front of you looking at you and won't see you. So you go, all right, whatever, ignore that. Then you start shooting and you realise that the average cultist pops in like a single shot. So you're like, oh, all right, uh, that's not much challenge there. And then you get your first vampire, which is just a bullet sponge. And then you've got to fucking stake the thing, which kind of becomes repetitive extremely fast, particularly when you're taking on like five vampires at once. And you've got to like, they're all swarming you. You've got to sort of stake one and then they're gnawing at you and you've got to stake the other. And there's a whole animation that plays out every time. And it's the same animation every time. And then I realised after a few more shootouts that it just kind of felt very much like a mobile shooter in terms of the aiming doesn't feel very satisfying no matter how you adjust the sensitivity. The You're going to want to rely on that auto-aim lock-on controller because without it, bullet like the bullet recoil and everything's very floaty. When it does stick on, it sticks on like, like you would be playing a mobile game and then things just drop either too fast or too slow. So there's not really any kind of satisfying feedback there. So I'm starting to lose... Where I'm at the moment is I'm starting to lose a little bit of confidence in terms of the gunplay being the thing that might save this. Keeping in mind, in that first hour, you get your hands on a lot of guns. Um, uh, well, after maybe between the first and second hour. So I went through the first hour with just some grey three weapons. Two of them were the same. wasn't thrilled. Then after that, it's throwing purple guns at me and blue guns. with, And even ultimates, just like with reckless abandon leaving me baffled as to what's actually good because the guns don't really feel different if they do more damage or not because it's just a numbers game. You shoot the thing and do you get bigger numbers or do you get smaller numbers out of the damage? It's kind of like a weak Borderlands-esque type of deal, but it doesn't have the feedback of a game like Borderlands or Destiny. They're just numbers appearing overheads. So that's where I am at the moment. And keeping in mind, I'm probably four hours in, still very early, still on the first map, but kind of rapidly losing optimism. Still optimistic, mm. but rapidly losing it. Nah. Nah, you're, you're gone. You're gone. <laughs> but, what, what, but one thing I wanted to touch on is in, I don't know if you felt this earlier, but in the preview and in the preview that I wrote, uh, I felt like the world was probably going to be the thing that that concerned me the most. Mm. Uh, and I think, James, I think you summed it up beautifully in your review. I think you called it like a Hollywood movie set or, or something to yeah, like that effect. It's like a backlot kind of a town yeah Yeah, like you like the the thing that they film you know gilmore's creek in or or whatever like it's that you know (laughs) everything's a a shop like it's a front of buildings yeah um and that's very much how it feels and you know it's barren and there's just random spots of cultists and they're just donkeys mate they got no idea what's going on and why even the thing like it just it's gonna be not it's gonna be a little bit weird but it reminded me a tiny little bit of the order in the way that that game was sort of. Hey, on, let, let, let me finish. Let me finish. Everyone was going to let you speak. Yeah, You're I know, the one that stopped yourself. How that game was kind of marketed as you know, as this like knights versus werewolves uh, or lichens, and then the whole game is just shooting a bunch of fucking, you know, uh, right. rebellions. Um, Mm-hmm. And then, or rebels, sorry. And then, um, in this game, you, I feel like seventy percent of the time you're just shooting cultists. Like you know, there are and, so many human enemies. Yeah. yeah. So that's that. I kind of got that. It kind of was like, it's like, is this no a vampire? Is this a vampire game really, or is it just are they just there as like 
every now and mm. again. You kind of I, I, I think mean, there's a lot more than. I think you'd get sick of fighting vampires if they had, if they were populated to the extent the cultists were. I think because uh, they're such a pain in the ass. They well, I, I think my big problem with the gunplay in Redfall is it's just not very dynamic. There's not much variety to what you can do in combat situations, and we you figure that out straight away. Like the first time I made damage to an enemy was me sneaking up behind them, assuming I was about to do a takedown hit the melee attack and it just made this weak thud sound and the enemy turns around. I'm like, <laughs> like uh, the, the game bills that it has stealth, but it doesn't like there aren't the stealth mechanics to back that up. Um, as you mm. said, the AI is dumb enough that, you know, you can pretty much walk and not crouch and, and approach them from behind and they won't know what's happening. Um, the cultists go down in, in one bullet anyway, so the need for stealth is is not necessary. But then, especially in single player, if you are taking on a vampire, um, the only thing you can do, and correct me if anybody has found something different, is to shoot. It comes at you, you run away a bit, you turn around, you shoot, you run away, you turn Get around and shoot. You're just kiting yeah. these enemies. And I'm like, that is never fun for a first-person shooter. It's kind of bizarrely mm. limited because... You know, so much of what Redfall fails at is stuff that Arcane has succeeded at before. Like, why is the AI so dumb? You've made better AI. Like, could you not have used mm-hmm. the structure that, like, I'm not a game developer, but could you not have used some of that code? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, why are there failures in these areas? And then even, you know, you mentioned, Nathan, that you have to stake enemy uh, these vampires to kind of finish them off. I still, to this day, after talking to people after the preview event we went to, Zach, <laughs> after interviewing the developers and literally asking them this question, and now oh, no, after you, yeah. reviewing it, I still cannot understand why stakes are only attached to certain weapons. What is the gameplay oh. benefit? <laughs> what is the benefit to making your player shoot and down an enemy and then awkwardly fumble to whatever weapon might have a stake on it just to finish them off? Might. What? Why yeah. is that fun? Where? I don't understand. Because you might have one saving? gun that has a stake and you'll have the identical gun without a stake. Correct, yeah. And you yeah. can't swap and change. It's just it comes lock and loaded as is. Yeah. So what was the reason they uh, they gave Well, you? at first they misunderstood the question or or, <laughs> or willingly misunderstood it and, and said, oh, yeah, we think the stake mechanic is so cool because these at the end of the day are vampires and so it's really important we maintain some of that. I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on. That's not what I'm talking about. I agree. The stake is cool. Why does it is it only on certain weapons? Oh, well, the thing about that is you can customize and, and, and you can like make things look different and it's actually really cool and dynamic. And so by the end of that interview, I was like, okay, I guess maybe there's like an upgrade system. You can add stakes to weapons. You can, it becomes this kind of like trade off. Like, am I adding a stake or am I adding something else? But that's not part of this game. It's not. So I don't know what their mm-hmm. comment even surrounded or if the, a design decision changed like partway through development or if they literally just meant cosmetic design, which is part of the game, but is like, pff, who cares? Um, I don't know. I, I still can't answer that question. Hmm. It's weird. <laughs> Did you play multiplayer? Yes, I played cooperative. Um, the lovely Omi and Charlie joined me. Um, and in fact, I think cooperative is the worst way to play this game. Uh, I experienced far Ooh. more bugs, glitches, performance <laughs> issues, um, connectivity issues. It, it just kind of accelerated and exacerbated some of the problems that 
I face a lot of, and I, I assume a lot of people face these problems too, but like our first play session, it took a while just for us all to connect. There were times where we tried to um, jump into a multiplayer session and one of our characters were just kind of broken and we had to re-log and then and, and start again. There were times where we'd try to jump into a game and it would just be this infinite loading screen. I'm like, okay, I don't know what's happening. So for that instance, I had to, as the host, run to a new area and then load everybody in um, because for whatever reason, I couldn't get them into that previous area. Um, I think the best part about co-op is definitely the fact that, you know, you play another arcane game and you have a suite of abilities you have access to. In Redfall, you have three. Um, and three does not quite feel enough to have the variety to the gameplay you'd want. But when you have your full co-op squad, all of a sudden, everybody's abilities kind of interact with each other. You know, you can take, um, if I stealth as Jacob, my whole team around me gets access to that stealth mechanic, right? And everybody has their own way of interacting with their teammates. So suddenly you do, playing co-op, have this suite of abilities that makes the combat more dynamic and engaging. Um, but outside of that one thing, um, it really just made the game more convoluted and annoying and more glitchy. I mean, we were playing and, you know, you'd watch as the other characters were T-posing or like uh, stuck halfway into the ground or like sliding around everywhere. And you're like, and it just kept breaking things like people's melee would break and their button literally wouldn't work anymore or their flashlight would stop working and we'd be like, okay, I guess we're reloading again. It was an absolute nightmare. I um, tried to get, I mustn't, I don't, it's a classic uh, Xbox interface, but I had one enemy, one cultist, like sitting in like a, like he was in a chair and he was floating across like, like the yeah. sky. <laughs> um, and then when I started to shoot at him, he appeared like right, like right in front of me. Like he was like right in my, <laughs> Hello. Um, and there was like other enemies around. So then by the time that I actually killed them, and went back to like see if I could record it. I only had access to like 30 seconds or something like that and it was passed mm. and I was like, damn it, why can't I have like... Yeah, it was <laughs> quite funny. You, you bring up a good point about the um, character powers as well where like it feels as if there was a complete build and then that got fractured into different playable characters because if you had access to all these powers, even if you want to just say, hey, look, when you do it, like Ghost of Tsushima is a great example of this. You play that game in single player, you have access to everything. If you play it in multiplayer, they fracture it into there's the stealth build, the archer build, the, the power build and whatnot. It works really well in that setting because like you said, everyone combines together and sort of forms a, a whole unit. But I think if you're given a, if you're going to build this as a single player experience, let me use those abilities then. Like let me roll as a complete squad in inside of my own character because on my own I had access to like an umbrella that would absorb damage that I could then like sort of awkwardly sometimes fire back at people. Sometimes it would just kind of pass right through them. And then an elevator that like helped me jump up, but I never needed to jump anywhere. So it just, that was functionally useless to me. And then like I could summon my ex-boyfriend to kind of glitchily do damage to, to certain bosses. Um, and you know, you're talking about, you've got stealth mechanics. I think there was the, the cloak and like the bird yeah. that spots things mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. And it's like, why can't I have also have a bird? There's just no discernible reason why the single player experience is so fractured. Half that skill tree is built for co-op. Like it's Correct. just, it's unnecessary for me as a single player. Um, and it just, yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. 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 I mean, the one big thing I felt like I was missing as Jacob was any of those 
movement style abilities. I know you said you don't didn't really use your kind of what was it, an elevator style? Like it launches you. It's, it's like an elevator that like it, and look, it looks really cool. I'll definitely give them that. Like summoning like a purple spectral mm. elevator is a very cool. Yeah, look. and another character has this yeah. teleportation system where they can basically throw. Yeah. Divinda. Yeah, they can throw like that's been my character. Yeah, and that and that looks really cool too, right? And uh, I got to see both of those uh, in action from my co-op squad mates, um, but without having them like like Jacob is totally uh, has no movement abilities, and I was like missing that because it's an arcane game, you know. I want that that teleport. I want that just something that makes me feel powerful and gives me advantage over the terrain that I'm occupying, especially. Um, because sometimes I don't know about you two, but I found myself often getting caught on terrain or jumping to ledges. I, I was like, I swear I should be grabbing this and pulling myself up, but it's just not working. Um, and having, having an elevator in, in that situation would have been lovely. Yeah. But also like there's, there's none of that like arcane verticality that we've come to expect, right? Like you can get up on top of a roof, but then like, and then what? Like there, there's yeah. nothing to functionally do. And the vampires just teleports you anyway, wherever you are. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At the start of the game, it does give you a prompt being like, approach missions your way. It gives you the example of the fire station. You know, you can go through the roof, you can mm-hmm. go around the back or through the front door. And that's cool. I was like, oh, heck yeah, you know, I'll take some more of that. And then that kind of disappears because when you come across other buildings that you need to infiltrate, I can. I'll go straight to the roof first thing and I'll find no entry point. So i got to like gradually just make my way back down to the ground. Then I slip, fall, take a big chunk of health off back where <laughs> I started. But again, now I'm short a couple health packs. You can actually mitigate fall damage entirely if you just kind of like awkwardly stick to a surface as you're falling. <laughs> I did um, notice honestly. that. I did notice yeah. that. I've fallen off some sharp edges though. But yeah, if you're going down like yeah. a hillside, you're good. Yeah, just do the like, it's like a Skyrim slide basically. Yeah. Just, yeah. just keep hugging that wall, you'll be dandy. It's a, like Adam says, and he says it more eloquently than I, this game is a wonky dog. <laughs> mm. I think we, I'd say we, you know, we're all pretty disappointed really and, and a bit shocked. Um, yeah, very surprised. Very surprised. Mm. I think, well, I think James would also agree with this, but probably Nathan and, and you, Elliot. But coming this being, I guess, the uh, one of the first prominent first party games, or it, it might even be the first uh, first party game from that Bethesda uh, deal. I don't think. Have, have oh, we had Hi Fi Rush at the start had, of the year as well. Yeah, but I mean, I mean like, shit. yeah, but that's a little. Yeah, bit yeah, yeah. I mean, look, smaller. Yeah, it's I more mean, like a yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like a yeah. like a big like a big system seller. You know, a game yeah, that yeah. this is the biggest. One hundred twenty bucks on it in a you know in an EB games and one hundred and twenty bucks or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, um, which which stings in the context of what I played. I wouldn't go one hundred and twenty bucks near this. It just mm. I feel sad for Xbox people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also said yeah. to you in, in our Slack, James and Nathan, that this, I feel like, and I could could be completely wrong because, again, I'm not a developer, I'm not anybody, I'm just buddy. Don't sell yourself short, Zach. I, mean, I, back I, I was hoping you'd reference the carny, mate. But um, uh, I feel like this is a, uh, a victim of making games around Game Pass. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So, well, it doesn't, you know, like, like the world is a bit ugly. They're just kind of, I don't know. I just feel like you think they were like part way through development. They're like, Oh, this is a game pass game. No, tell you what, we'll turn down the graphics. Like, we'll make it look a bit shitter. I just feel like <laughs> that maybe, maybe the, and again, I got no idea. Uh, maybe the budget is a bit lesser um, because it's just about getting players on board kind of thing. Um, rather than selling, um, you know, full price games. 
So maybe because they're using about... a different. Yeah, I, I think yeah, you're kind of inferring that because they might simply be using a different metric to quantify the success of the game. Therefore, they can lower the barrier of quality in that. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's. I don't know. But sometimes again, I just assume I'm it's just. just it's hard to read into these things. And sometimes a bad game is just a bad game. Maybe Arcane, you know, they, they, they're not used to making these cooperative online experiences. They wanted to move into this area and they just did not do a very good job of it. Maybe development was rushed for whatever reason. Like this thing could have used another six months, you know, of development. Like we can all see <laughs> it. Least, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, why didn't it get that time? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Especially with the, that, the 60 frames thingy. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. that's it. Like, that's kind of the thing about the Xbox stuff that I think gets my goat up a little bit is that, you know, they're, they're pitching this as we've got the most powerful console on the market and, you know, we are going to be aggressively trying to own that entire market. Like, the, all of their moves at the moment are about making sure that they are the ones making video games. And if this is the kind of product that they're happy to ship, that's, like, deeply concerning. Because it's, you know, Halo Infinite ship poorly. Um, mm. What was one before that that... What was the other big? Are I thought they had, they had it. other games. Well, there was another big. Forza was easy peasy. They got no, they got off safe not, with not that. Forza. I thought there was another big game that didn't quite do. Uh, mm. Probably making it up. Um, or probably already forgotten. Yeah. All that. All that. Um, okay. Anyway, let's uh, let's wrap up Redfall, James. You landed on a four point five. Do you feel vindicated uh, with all the reviews? <laughs> Go around. No, look, it's 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 a sad morning. You know, like I was I was at work, I was on my phone, and I kind of watched everyone rolling at the same time and was like, oh, fuck. Well, like it's it's good to not be the outlier. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm Grinch. happy to not be the Grinch in the corner. Um, but at the same time, it's it's just a, a bummer for them. I think I put in my summary that like Arcane have earned a good faith stinker. Like this is they've they've got a good track record. They are they they seem like a great team. It's okay that they made a bad game. It, it happens, um, but it doesn't change what it is. Mm. And Elliot, you said you only finished before, but what uh, did you find? Did you finalize your own? Yeah, I did. Or? I ended up landing on a five. I do think the second area of the game is stronger than the first. Not not enough to you know give this game more than a t- totally average five out of ten. But uh, uh, yeah, I feel totally comfortable with that score. I think. I mean, it is what it is. The game has strong, uh, strong points, including that law that I mentioned at the top. But uh, it does enough wrong that it it, it becomes well below uh, what you'd expect out of a triple A studio. Yeah, cool. All right, well, you can check out James' review on the website, and Elliot's review will probably it's up. be up. Yep. Now. Checkpointgaming.net if you oh, want to check now. it Sweet. out. Cool. It's, uh, it's up on the website now, so you can read those both on Metacritic too. So shout outs to mm. us. Uh, speaking of shout outs, let's go around the grounds and do Horizon Forbidden West, Burning Shores from the big man KS, the good doctor. Uh, he says Burning Shores may not, this is the Horizon uh, DLC, uh, not like a different VR game or whatnot if you're not sure what this is. Uh, he says Burning Shores may not feel essential in the grand scheme of things, but a solid self-contained story and a dedication to character depth make this the perfect excuse to return to this brilliant action-adventure RPG. And he gave it an 8.5. Has anybody rocked this DLC? I know we're not hot on Horizon here. (laughs) The thing is, like, I keep wanting to try to be a Horizon fan. Um, And, like, this DLC does... It's it's the closest I've gotten to being like, do I want to slog through those two games to get to this? Um, Because it seems like they're going to be taking it into a direction I would like. Um, But... 
I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Hmm. Hmm. Did you play the any of the Horizon games? No, I missed out on the Horizon boat. I'm afraid it was a uh, was a series that has passed me by thus far. Hmm. Do you feel hmm. like you're missing much? Yeah, I mean, by all counts, it sounds like it's pretty solid series. Um, I played April five. five. I know. Can't go so wrong. there you go. Maybe <laughs> I should. It's good as Outriders. Um, it's an Outriders level game. What do you think of Outriders? Uh, inoffensively okay. Elliot? I likened it to The Order 1886. <laughs> Be very careful about your next words. <laughs> let's, um, let's move on, shall we? So, I mean, Zach goes, mm, that's an 8.5. I actually gave that an 8. My first ever review. Hey. First ever review. Really? Yeah. Uh, that's sweet, actually. Yeah, that's why he tattooed hey. on himself. That's it. Yeah, it tracks. Jeremiah. Pin it on my flesh, baby. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually like a QR code. So when you scan it, it actually goes like to takes you to the store. Takes you to the EV game second hand page. <laughs> Not to his review. Pick up a yeah. copy, four bucks. How dare you? Actually, I'm in the market for another copy of that game. Right. I would say. All right. So uh, Mark Isaacson has done a Steel Series Apex Nine mini keyboard review. You can read it on the website. But he says if you're in the market for a premium 60% keyboard and costs aren't an issue. Look no further than the well-crafted and enjoyable to use SteelSeries Apex 9 Mini. Shoutouts to SteelSeries for the keyboard. Good job, Mark, on the review. Read it on the website if keyboards are your thing. I think that's all for shoutouts. Uh, Mark has also whipped up a little feature article on 5. Let me read the title, sorry, so I get it right. Uh, 5 games with unfortunate release strategies. So it's quite an Speaking of Horizon. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a little entertaining reads. Check that out if you're into articles. Oh. The written word. <laughs> <laughs> so at the request of Buddy Watson, uh, he has asked us to discuss a topic this week, which we don't generally do, but I'm excited because uh, we don't really often do this. We kind of just plow through. So he is asked, should game reviews take technical performance into consideration when scoring? Question mark. Speaking Mark's of Mark, who's not here, James. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm in two minds on this one, and I think it's because uh, video game reviews can fall into two distinct categories. I think that the way that I tend to review a game is a sort of holistic look at its artistic intent um, and sort of, you know, story, tone, mechanics, obviously, of course, but like I don't necessarily consider the... I mean, there's another element to it as well we'll get to in a minute, but technical performance to me w is something that I would put into a product review. And I, I try not to review games as as products. I just sort of take them as the works that they are. Um, and that's entirely not everybody's preference. And that's not even what everybody wants to read. And I fully appreciate that because, you know, especially when we talk about a game like Redfall charging $120, you might you'd need a product review of that. You'd need to know about its technical performance and about um, sort of your uh, financial access to it, as you would with any high end product that you're buying. Um, so, I don't really know if we should be taking it into consideration when scoring. I I think if it's egregious, yes. 
But then there's also the review cycle of we are often promised that things will get the day zero patch, the day one patch, you know, the copy that you're reviewing now isn't necessarily reflective of the quality that, you know, consumers are going to get their hands on. And so then do I take a bad frame rate and some texture load in, drop a, a game, you know, two points or whatever, and then people out in the public, they get their hands on it, don't see any of those issues and go, what are you talking about? So it's it's all tied up in sort of like the the way that we move through these things as as products, as as marketing, and then as as works of art as well. Very nicely put, Elliot. How do you feel about putting, uh, sorry, t- taking the performance and putting it into your yeah? Program? If that's what the reviewer wants to do, there are literally reviewers out there who are technical performance reviewers. They will analyze that frame rate. Mm-hmm. They will pick apart every little thing and and their opinion is just as valuable as anybody else's, especially if, you know, they gather that audience because then that's people who care about that thing. Um, Equally valid if if that is not your thing, if you are approaching video games as the art form and, and, and really do not mind about the technical side of things, especially because we all know that that can change. Um, But the amendment I'll make to that is that, well, actually the, 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 the rest of the design of the game can change too. Nothing is static. So we can't have this fear of, oh no, what I played might not be what other people played. A review is of its time. It is what that one reviewer thought in that one moment where that reviewer was able to play and in the situation that reviewer was playing it in. And we can't take it as anything more than that, no matter whether we're talking about performance or any other aspect of a game. So... Um, I'll, I'll leave that one up to the reviewer. Nathan, how do you feel about that? Well, I think between James and Elliot, they've kind of covered pretty comprehensively how we might want to consider this in terms of both the ethics and the philosophy of reviewing, respectively. Very well spoken. Uh, so I can only speak... Re- the only thing I can contribute to this conversation is as far as how I approach it, because I really can't extrapolate any further than that. I'm in no authority to do so. Uh, but for me, myself... There is, that, there is that fine line where performance may impact the ability to play the game as it has clearly been intended. There's obviously a context around this, so this is obviously very prickly when we talk about PC games. I'm very conscious about that. But if we're playing something on a platform where the game is pretty much intended for that one sense, like stable build, and uh, therefore there is clearly an intent that I should be able to enjoy this game. If it's a fast-paced action game and the game is stuttering and I'm unable to perform blocks and parries, I'm unable to play the game as it's intended. That might dock a point, and it's going to be said as much. For a game like, um, and an example that would be the uh, Ninja Gaiden games on Switch, the second and third game become very, very challenging to play simply because of their technical hiccups. Elaborate on that. Typically, I don't go much into technical performance, even if a game does have pop-in. Me talking about pop-in might be a caveat that I dedicate some words to because I'm trying to fill in some space because there's not much else to talk to of note. Uh, So, for instance, Tales of Arise getting a 9. So, I mentioned that that game had some pretty pretty egregious pop-in, but it's still a 9. So, so it's a caveat, not a detractor. Mm. I'd almost want to do, like, just a little side box of Mm. a review, being like, hey, this is how it performed as a as a piece of software like this is how it works that's what i miss um, about magazines box outs yeah mm. i think we're pretty i think like journalists in general are pretty generous and pretty forgiving mm-hmm. when it comes to that side of things i think it's as as you said james when it gets egregious and it's and like you said nathan it impacts the actual enjoyment or uh, how the game should be played is when it i think it is marked down and uh, the most recent probably example of that is the Star Wars Jedi game on PC. 
um, mm. uh, you know, and even um, uh, uh, came out recently, The Last of Us Part 1 on PC, right? You know, they, <coughs> they are, uh, from all reports, broken uh, on mm. PC when they came out. So I think reviewers are well within their right to score uh, because of that, um, you know. You shouldn't. I think it might have been Ellie. You know, you shouldn't score what this game will be in three months when it's had you know, pat, you know, ten patches. It, it's you know, if you get, generally we get a list, uh, or you know, you'll you'll be notified of what what devs are looking at fixing um, in a review build. So you kind of look at that and go, okay, I'm not gonna you know, whack them too harshly for certain things. But yeah, I think when it actually uh, breaks the enjoyment and stuff like you know when you when things are broken in in the game, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because I think Atomic I know, Heart was a good yeah. example of that, where like the the actual buggy performance of that game like balked my save a couple of times, and it's like at that point it's like yeah, this isn't. I don't really care if you're patching this out. You are like ruining my life. Um, so so another good Goodness. example we had is uh, the second Will of. Uh, Fucking what's the RA are in the Will of the Wisps? Yeah, there you go. So when we got that, that was it was technically a bit rough, right? And we didn't get access to the day one patch. We didn't see it. Didn't even know what was in it, um, right? So we reviewed it accordingly. And then, of course, when the game came out, they got a patch and a lot of it was fixed. Um, yeah, I remember people saying like, you know, uh, I think it was on Reset Era, they were talking about it because a lot of the reviews mentioned these uh, uh, problems with it, but uh, people were like, you know, they should, uh, journalists should be reviewing what the consumer is going to play kind of thing. And it's like, well, mm. if you play a fucking broken game, you're not, you know. Yeah, you but we're not clairvoyance either, right? And so. this is something that goes beyond performance. Mm-hmm. I remember we did a review of Sifu, um, which is that uh, action uh, fighting style campaign game. Um, and, you know, our our reviewer noted the difficulty of that game as a detractor, right? And and that is its own contentious topic that might not be a topic for this mm-hmm. for this particular podcast. But the day one patch for that game was, oh, by the way, we've made this boss fight considerably easier. We've tweaked the difficulty here, there and, and elsewhere. Um, and even after those tweaks, the, the big feedback kept being, oh my God, it's still so difficult, right? So I think the average consumer can't even comprehend how challenging that game might have been to a reviewer pre-day one patch where all mm-hmm. the difficulty was adjusted. Um, so it's like, I mean, at, at some point, what are we living in fear of what can change for the day one patch? No, we just have to talk about... Mm how the game was when we played it. And you know what? If, if if we're really committed, we'll update our reviews accordingly or make amendments. But we always know that, you know, as soon as that as soon as that review is released and that score is put there, that is what Metacritic is taking and they don't care otherwise, you know? And I kind of appreciate that stance from Metacritic, but it does create these situations where it's like, well, if my thoughts change or the game changes like that, that score is locked in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, you, now you're kind of brushing up against, like, I think the real problem we're running into with reviews now is that, like, scores are just not 
serving anybody anymore. I don't think like they're they're a really fun number to talk about sort of on the on the first week of release and whatnot. But especially with how games have changed, like you look at like Fallout seventy six for example, right? And mm. sort of the the different numbers you may have given that game sort of across its run, right? Or No Man's Sky is another great example of where it was, where it is now, right? Like the the review should because if I don't have to put a number on something, I can easily talk about technical performance in there, and it's it's a total nothing. If I dock a number for technical performance, it becomes a whole thing because the, you're right, then it goes on to affect Metacritic average. It goes on to affect the marketing narrative around the game. There's so many different things that are pivoting on the way that we currently have access to these titles. Uh, and it's just, it's it's not a great system. I don't know if I fully agree because I, I, I like, so Kieran always, so when we, when we I want to compare it sort of to our writing. Uh, so Kieran always says, the draft you send me should be the draft that you are happy to put up on the website. You know, pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, sure we, you know, we tinker with it we, when we play with it, but for, for the most part, what you send, you know, he shouldn't have to rewrite people's work, for example, right? And I feel like that is kind of the same with review codes, you know, review builds and stuff like that. The work that you are sending me should be the work that you are happy to have critiqued kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're sending me a game that's fucked, um, Especially with like Redfall and it's like three days before launch. Yeah, so like, <laughs> I feel like then, you know, then that's that's on you. That that's not our fault. That the build that you've mm. sent us is, is broken, you know. And Fallout 76 did launch in a pretty bad spot. No Man's Sky did launch in a pretty shit spot. Cyberpunk, I don't think avoiding scores to not trash those games in a way, like in that mm. scoring wise, I don't think that's a good thing because it's kind of like we're just ignoring how that game did actually launch. So that like Cyberpunk launched so poorly that it forced my mate who only had a PS4. He mm. was fucking devastated. Like like when he got that game, he took time off work. He was texting me that day being like, mm. I don't understand. This was marketed as a PS4 game. Yeah, This game is like, it's unplayable. It is unplayable. Like I cannot play it. So he actually went out and bought a fucking, he was going to go buy a PS5 from a scout no. for a thousand bucks or something just to play Fuck. Cyberpunk. You know, pulled a few strings and KV mm. managed to, uh, but um but yeah Mm. like you know that's the kind of thing i feel like if you were just like oh you know we're not gonna i feel like scores i think they're good and bad i think there's good and bad but i don't think not having scores um makes it uh what am i trying to say like I think a, a game that launches badly should deserves a bad score i don't think we can punish ourselves as like as but we're not part of the marketing branch of these companies either. Like we talk about, oh, how the review scores affect everything and how meaningful they are, and and they are to an extent. It's true, but you know, as you said, like I mean, we're the ones being sent these codes to review in the state that they're in. Um, and and what is the flip side exactly? If 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 developers or publishers aren't sending us these codes in advance and are instead waiting for release day because then the most fixes are available, then half the websites are going to go, oh, I don't want a release date code. Like it's over. Like the hype is dead. I'm going to go review this other thing because they gave us code two weeks in advance. You know what I mean? Like this is like, ju- I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. It's and in recent memory, I'm thinking yeah. of was the curious case of Benedict Fox, right? We didn't get code till release day so i told my reviewer we'll get to it when we get to it focus on what you need to focus on right now because we've got embargoes we've got deadlines we've got you know that that important day one review on metacritic like matters so much so (laughs) i I don't i don't know how to win in this ecosystem of developers releasing things that aren't 
that aren't ready and, and are about to get a day one patch, like like going down to the wire. It's it's uh, I don't know. Mm. So yeah. that's where so, so something like Dead Island Two is a good example. That had a pretty big list of things that they told you this is what we're actually working on. We are fixing <coughs> these issues. If you run into them, you know know that we are looking. You know we we know that they're here rather than just sending in a a hot code. You know, right before launch. How much do you trust those yeah. lists, Zach? And just out of curiosity, because I know they're fully well intentioned, but there is that part of my brain that's like, I think a better question but is, is it going to be fixed? Like, I, I can't possibly know that. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I mostly just <laughs> 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 like, I will go, yeah, okay, I get yeah. it. And, but you know, I'm not, I'm not someone who would generally pick on performance anyway. I'm not someone that would scale the review unless it's get cooked right you know if there's like, like a Gilead bit, said you no. don't have to be like, yeah that's yeah so performance is not really a thing that i kind of worry about really unless it's yeah anyway there you go buddy hopefully that that was uh enlightening for you thank you for the uh suggestion that was uh, that was a good little discussion to, to hear more on zach's thoughts about review scores an interesting conversation on the Buddy Watson podcast. Oh it? yes, on the on the uh, radio Watson, I talked radio about that. Radio Watson. I, I apologise, yeah. that's an embarrassing faux pas. But that that's was right. a good episode. There was some definitely some engaging discussion around review discourse and how mm. that should philosophy, yeah, the philosophy around scoring numbers. I liked that podcast. That I think that was my first real introduction to you. Mm. Um, so it was just good. like what a. Just giving off that bloke energy, like, mate. This is the guy I want to review Redfall for in three <laughs> days' time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, felt that. Thank felt, you, James. Thank appreciate you, James, you taking that one. No, look, is what it is. Well, like, <laughs> it shouldn't have been a bad game. Anyway, but it was. So let's move on. Uh, <laughs> news. James taught us what's... Oh, we like this news, don't we? We like news. We're big fans we of do, Xbox. We do. Lo- we love some news. <laughs> uh, so uh, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, has effectively blocked the Microsoft Activision acquisition, at least for now. Now, Microsoft are, of course, appealing this decision, but the uh, CMA has cited concerns over... Um, they, they've seemed to have pivoted a lot of the narrative around uh, cloud gaming yeah. and sort of what Microsoft's sort of chokehold on that would be in, in the future. Um, this is obviously not an ideal outcome for um, Activision, Blizzard or Microsoft, anybody involved. I think everybody has come forward and said that, you know, we're going to be fighting this tooth and nail and so this is very anti-consumer and the, the spiels have been spieled. Um, I'm not sure how this turns out. I'm seeing a lot of differing opinions on if this is like a, a pretty big death blow or not. Are they the only ones that have blocked it? Like did the EU approve I it? I think so, yeah. I mean, I don't know who else, I don't know which ones uh, actually have to sign off on it, but yeah. I mean, the thing is like th- this appeal could take yonks, right? Mm-hmm. Like we could be talking about this in 2025, maybe. Yep. Like, yep, 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 yep. So it's like how much money is Microsoft willing to spend? To well, I think, I think they stand to lose I, a I, lot I, I think if this they, doesn't go yeah. through. So they're going to spend that and probably more just to make sure it does happen. I'm mm-hmm. sure this will be part of the the narrative around the appeal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, How much they're willing to spend to keep this going and what I, that implies. I think that it'll go through. I think it, they'll find a way to for it to go through, personally. Uh, grease, grease a few palms there. Um, I just think that... Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that, that yeah. 
given how big a deal this is. And this is why it's weird that they announced this kind of thing before it's actually approved or signed off. Oh, that's every acquisition no. announcement. Maybe that's... Yeah, I know, but maybe it's just like... But then you kind of get just people... Because when did they announce this? Like ages ago, like last year? Uh, it or was 2022, yeah. Like it feels January like, of 2022, yeah. Fuck, and so then soon afterwards, the CMA did put out a list of like, hey, look, we, we could probably let this go through if you address like X, Y, and Z. Um, and then they didn't. So this is how we've ended up. Yeah. I just feel like it was so long ago now that everyone just kind of already associates uh, Activision and that with as a part of Xbox a little bit. Maybe mm. uh, yeah. maybe Redfall <laughs> shoddy <laughs> launch it. helps Xbox. They're like, see, our other studios can't do shit. We need Activision. <laughs> <laughs> you think we have a market grip? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's... Yeah, I don't know. I'm reminded of that Simpsons bit, the um, like the spruce caboose. Like some people said it was too big to stay on the tracks and they were right. <laughs> uh, I think that's kind of where I hope we're headed with this deal. Um, but we, we'll see. We'll see. Elena, I know not everyone is as lefty as I am on this stuff. So <laughs> I know we kind of talked about it when we were in Sydney, but where do, I, I where do you sit on this deal? Personally? Myself? Uh, I don't think I have a strong opinion, uh, weirdly, because uh, I love opinions, but I, I don't know. I, as a consumer... <laughs> There is some something sparks in me that goes, yeah, give me more Xbox Game Pass games. But like, if we take that whole argument out of things, I, I don't know. I I'm trying to think of like, if this deal goes through, is Xbox really in that powerful, dominant of a position? And I kind of doubt it. And, and I know Call of Duty is this massive pull for this. Um, certain alk of gamer who will just go to whatever console has this on it, but. Um, but that's not the be all and end all of video gaming, you know? And, and so some of the, what Xbox says is laughable when they're like, well, PlayStation, you have 10 years to make your own call of duty. I'm like, okay, well, no, you can't just make a call of duty. I actually kind of, well, I don't know if I agree with the, exactly <laughs> well, the time frame or theory, like the theory behind it, but I kind of like the idea though, like go and make your own first person shit. So give us something new and give us, give us something different. They, like they try. Sucked. But, but also <laughs> Zach, don't forget yeah. like what Call of Duty know, is. It's not just a first person shooter. It's the biggest video game franchise in the world. Like it's like, yeah, no, it's huge. Right. So like, mm. it's not going to be Call of Duty. Like even I mean, Call of Duty's biggest competitor is like dwarfed in comparison. And so it's not easy to say, make mm. your own Call of Duty. It's also not easy to say, Hey, we'll chuck Call of Duty on everything. We'll put it on the switch. No, because this thing might not be able to run. Well, we know it can't run it, right? It's like, maybe you'll put it in some kind mm -hmm. of cloud streaming capacity, but that's not the same thing. So, you know, Xbox are taking the piss a little bit, but also, I mean, some of what PlayStation says in rebuttal is a joke in and of itself. It's like, we all know that PlayStation for the longest time has had market share dominance in so many ways. Um, and Xbox trying to play catch up a little bit isn't, the worst thing in the world. Although I do agree with you, James, just at a, at a core value level, having multiple companies, more competition is always better. Mm. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm worried about like what 10 years from now looks like, I mean, you know, what, what's that gaming market going to be like if, if these deals are continuing to, to roll along. Um, I just, I don't trust the, uh, 
the machine of, of Xbox and Microsoft. And, you know, we talk about a lot on this podcast, but I think they are very good at marketing a narrative that they are pro gamer and, and pro you, the audience member. Um, but I, and I find that nefarious. I, I don't care for that. So I mean, I'm just curious. Yeah. Th- there's absolutely a future where your worst fears come true. It bombs. Everything's bland and sucks. And we just end up. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> <laughs> there's baby. Nintendo over in the corner still making their little Zeldas, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. I don't want anyway. to through. I just want more I want more separate companies. Yeah. Um, Agreed. One company, especially a platform holder, I don't think shouldn't own that many. What if Microsoft says mm. oh fine, then we'll get rid of Zenimax. Are you okay with it now? They just totally separate Zenimax Bethesda from their their studio hub, and they're like, "All right, well, now we'll bring in Activision." Oh. Godspeed! So <laughs> my... if you want to start negotiating, with that, get <laughs> what will it take, Zach? What will it take? So, okay. Check so out a my, new broken sword. My theory has always been that you shouldn't be able to buy a long-standing franchise that's been on an established platform and just take it away from another. <sighs> That's just capitalism. It's just like so that's, so that's where it just is. I don't know. Uh, yeah, right. but I feel like it's <laughs> like if you so you know Starfield for example. You know we all knew that, that was coming to PlayStation before they got bought. I mean it was never really it was you know, and you know platforms or consoles or whatever they said right. But now because they bought them, you know it's 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 not coming, and that's not you know that kind of goes against what I just said because it's not a long standing. <laughs> Uh, franchise but it's mm. but it was announced but like when the know, next fallout rolls around yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. when the next skyrim rolls around correct you know, like elder scrolls elder scrolls 6 they've already said it's going to be on on xbox right so i feel like that's so yeah i feel like taking call of duty away from people who've that's it goes against what xbox say they're all about they're all about they're not about exclusivity they're about the community and they're about you know playing <laughs> but they are taking it away in 10 play. years from when the activision yeah. uh, actor acquisition goes through so like but they should never it gives people so much time to prepare like a like a like a new doom you know let's say you know like a new doom or new wolfenstein or whatever evil Mm. within right you know they're all in theory i guess they were you know they're going to be oh shit yeah exclusive right you know like (laughs) i just realized that (laughs) Oh, you think that series another game? Oh, that's cute. Oh, no. I mean, like, no. I'm just saying the potential of another one being locked on Xbox makes me sick. You know, but probably, like, more like a new Doom and a new Wolfenstein. Like, yeah. you know, games that have been on PlayStation yeah. stuff for a long time. It's just it's shit because, you know, Phil wants to fucking fatten his catalogue of, of IPs that he owns. You know, PlayStation people miss out. Not everyone can afford to, to have two consoles. You know, mm. some, you know, some some people can't even afford to have the latest. I mean, the mo- the, the most consumer-friendly thing is obviously all games on all platforms, but we just know <laughs> no, no more games, games. no more That's games. <laughs> but we just know that won't happen. So, at, as soon as you make that segregation and say, well, some exclusives are okay, but I don't like it when other people get exclusives. I don't know. At that point, it, it feels like pedantic. I like exclusives because I feel like that's the only thing that kind of separates the two platforms really. But I don't like this situation. So I think, and I said it to you, I think before, like if PlayStation went and bought Capcom and then took Resident Evil, and I know they're not as big as Call of Duty, but, you know, they they took Resident Evil and they took Street Fighter and they took whatever else and just, you know, and made it, you know, that they, these were no longer coming to Xbox. I'd be like, that's a bit, that's a dick move. Like you can't, you shouldn't be able to do that. 
then here we are. You know, they're they're doing it with. Yeah, Final I Fantasy, mean, so it, it just. Do I know? Yeah, um, it, it's it's so hard. But that game has not really ever much been on Xbox, so that's a little they've, different. They've had a couple on Xbox, yeah. but it's more like, oh, you guys can have you know a little bite of the the pie. And I don't mind. Um, in this regard, I don't, I don't don't mind timed exclusives. I think there should be like a regulation or a law or a rule, whatever you want to call it, on the actual time itself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you did go down that path. Yeah, because if like you put Starfield on Xbox for 12 months, you know, and then you release it to the wider market, like if, if that was a stipulation that they wanted to do for being like, but we will be the publisher and the owner, I would probably be okay with it. You know, yeah, like I, I don't I'm, mind waiting a bit. I'm actually very surprised that they, they're not doing that. Like I thought that would be a win-win situation. They'd they'd win money. They'd win goodwill. Yes, they're mm-hmm. not getting people onto probably Game Pass, which is probably their ultimate. Yeah, that's it. It's plan. a slow choke. But that it's, twelve months, yeah. you know, you you get. I'd say a, a lot of people will want to play that. You know, they don't want to wait twelve months. Mm-hmm. You know, and they put and they might have a PC, so they've you know there's Game Pass for them on there kind of thing. So yeah. I know we want to wrap this conversation. Yeah, we do. So we do. We're We're the gone. rest of the news. So I'll just say, um, look, I, I think, Zach, you're probably onto something because we didn't know that Deathloop and uh, Ghostwire yeah. were going to Xbox mm. until like the week of. Yeah. So, you know, 12 months from now, let's check in on Redfall. Yeah. Mm. Well, I feel like that, that, that was probably because I think that was all, I don't know. But yeah, like it's just like, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway. Yeah. Keep anyway. going, James. Keep going. Uh, speaking of Xbox, um, for some reason, physical and digital copies of AFL 23 on Xbox have been delayed for reasons. Um, this, Zach, you're obviously much more across this, this than is, I am. but This is, this is just, man, Xbox just, uh, I think as um, Buddy or maybe Dylan Blight said in our little chat, just taking L's left, right and center today. <laughs> um, this is actually pre- this is pretty big news. Probably, you know, the rest of the world is like, what the fuck's AFL? Don't, you know, don't care. Um, but in Australia, this is big news. Um, so essentially, this game was delayed. It was originally set to delay, uh, uh, sorry, to release on April 13. Elliot, you and I were at that launch party. We we uh, played. Yeah, I bumped into a, a footballer and everyone's like, yeah. oh my God, you, you touched so-and-so. I'm like, who? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, th- this was meant to come out on April 13 and then... It was delayed because one of the platforms hadn't arrived in the country, um, so I couldn't process through customs. Got out that that was the Xbox copies of the game, so they pushed it back to May four. Um, and the PS five copies and the oh sorry the PlayStation copies have been in retailers for for weeks, right? You know they've had them sitting here. Whether this initial delay was really because of that is. That's all up for debate at the moment, but that's not really what we're going to be talking about tonight because we'll just bore you. But um, basically, uh, the Xbox delivery has not come has not come in, so they've pushed back. So rather than delay the game again, so uh, there's a whole there's a footy forum which I might have spoke about before, and the CEO of Big Ant like, talks on it quite a bit. And one of the reasons that he said for the for the first delay was because of uh, equal parity uh, parity or yeah. something to do with that, right? Like you know. They don't want, you know, with like retail contracts and shit, they can't just release on PlayStation and then leave Xbox. You know, they're, they're, it's got to be all or no one. Um, now we, we get to this phase now where it was like, are they going to delay the whole thing again? But they're just like, nah, fuck it. Like we're going PlayStation, we're going Steam. Um, and Xbox is basically, un, you know, in until further notice. They 
JB says, I think, mid to late June, whereas EB is putting out early June. So, um, and it's not even getting a digital release, which is wild, but mm. it makes it, it does make sense. Uh, I think because obviously if they do it digital, everyone's going to fucking cancel their Xbox pre-orders. This game is only being sold physically here, nowhere else in the world. So those copies of those games are just going to sit and they're going to be stuck with stock of this physical version that they can't sell. Super shit for Xbox players. That's so, you know, if you mm. haven't figured out by now why the fuck you own an Xbox, um, you know, this is this is probably it. Come on to I'll the be- PlayStation side and you'll be able to, Play AFL 23 on May 4. But, yeah, they Big Ant haven't actually even announced anything yet um, officially. It's just come from the retailers. So so there's mm. there's people are ho- uh, hoping that they can play it on May 4. But I don't uh, – sorry, the digital copy. But from reading between the lines of what the CEO has been saying, it ain't coming to – yeah, and it was confirmed today that um, it's not coming to digital. So – Guess, guess I'll be pouring one out for those couple dozen players. That's right. Yeah, well, we're definitely a country, and James, you may We are definitely a country. Uh, of uh, you, Yeah, um, if you didn't know, uh, we're a country. But um, we're big on PlayStation Expensive. here. And, we are. Uh, yeah, you get bullied if you're on an Xbox. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> very strange and interesting and weird that it's a little bit dog. Um, I don't really know who to to blame, but it's very odd that this has come out like two days from launch. I don't remember this happening with any other game um, where one console's physical no. copies are not being shipped. It's bizarre. Yeah, well, well they just haven't arrived. Unless they're stuck so in the I, ocean, I, I'm assuming they haven't been like, shipped. <laughs> well, or there's so there was there's also now rumors that maybe Nacon, who's the publisher, didn't go to Microsoft in time to get. I, I, again, these are just theories that have been thrown around online. So, I mean, there, there could even simply just be some stitch up from the logistics point of view. Like it may be nothing to do with marketing, technical. Yeah. Just simply, they cheaped out on a particular container. That's happening a lot mm. in the board game sphere. So maybe so, there's some takeaway there. No, uh, and no reviews until launch. So because this game is online only, I can't remember if I said this last week. There you will did. be no reviews uh, at, until launch. So. Again, one of those things that is we, we kind of go back to the te- to the technical performance talk before about reviews and stuff, and this has always been a funky thing for me a little bit, um, especially for this game. And I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on it a little bit, but this is probably a game that you don't want reviews out until after people can buy it. I mean, I remember playing the uh, AFL Live games and... And I'm not going to say, I'm, yeah, like, I'm not saying this game's going to be shit, but there is going to be a lot of casual players who walk into EB, JB, pick up, pick this up, expect a certain level of video game. And expect it's not, a Madden. Yeah, and it's not going to be that. And they're going to go, this is fucking dog. Anyway, yep. we, we move on. Carry the news, James. <laughs> we do. We do. Speaking of things that hopefully won't be dog, uh, Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon has received a its first gameplay trailer and an August 25th release date. This game is looking fucking crisp. Uh, this is from Software's Next Thing, makers of Elden Ring, taking all that goodwill and market share and just deciding to reignite the fires of a 
let's say a cult favorite um, franchise in in Armored Core. These are very particular sci-fi robot games. Uh, it looks fantastic. Is anyone else here excited for Armored Core? I played Armored Core. <laughs> I still have very distinct memories of that game. I have very distinct memories of thinking, fuck this game, because they are not fun to play. You can enjoy them. You can love them. But if you put that a controller in the hands of someone who has not seen this game before and go, have fun with this, they're going to throw the controller back at you in five <laughs> minutes' time. I'm curious to see how that translates to Armored Core 6. I've played a few of them out of sheer curiosity and a persistent will to try and get that point that clicks, kind of like you do with Monster Hunter. You have to put in a mm-hmm. bit of investment. I never got there. So I'm still curious, but uh, still got that sour taste in my mouth. These games are very special. Like for a very specific person, yeah. How does it compare to like uh, Heavy Gear? Oh, Heavy Gear was much easier to play because Heavy okay. Gear was effectively like a Mech Warrior clone. Yeah, like those games were kind of basically like a bit of a you know you played them like a first person shooter in a way. Uh, Armored Core doesn't control like any game you've ever played. Right. Armored right. Core controls like Armored Core. You got to fucking flip <laughs> the controller upside down. Then it'd be uh. <clears throat> And James laughs because he knows that's true. Look, I, I'm with you. Elliot I Jeffy don't. I have um, yet to play an Armored Core game, but I am wondering if anybody knows whether a game developer okay. has ever won Game of the Year in two years running. Because if From Software can pull this off... Mm. <laughs> well, but that's it. Like, so this this release date and gameplay uh, footage also came with, I think it was a Eurogamer interview, and they also spoke to IGN pretty extensively. This game has been directed by the guy mm-hmm. that directed Sekiro. Um, and Ooh. the tone of the conversation does seem to be very much, we know why people liked Armored Core for what it was. We are going to stick to that. We also understand people like us a lot now for what we've done with Dark Souls and, and so on. And so I do think that you're going to see a game that maybe does control a little bit easier um, or not easier to control necessarily, but just a bit more traditional control inputs. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, I think that they probably want to get as many people through the door on this as they possibly can. I mean, this is a pretty big swing to follow up Elden Ring with. Um, Like I feel like they could have very easily just focused on the DLC this year and just done that. And everyone would have been a okay with it. Um, But to to come up with this, I think they must be confident in it. Um, I'm I'm definitely intrigued. Oh yeah. DLC for Elden Ring? They are. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. yeah. Uh, sh- oh, sh- uh, shadows oh, no, yes. of something. Yeah. I think I remember um, that, yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous okay. artwork out there for it. Anyway, go 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 look that up. From software and aesthetics go together like two things that go well together. James, um, James and Zach and Tom Brocco. Yeah, there you, there you go. There you go. Um, Horizon, <laughs> Horizon Forbidden West Burning Shores has been review bombed because of its queer representation, assumedly. Why else do men review bomb things at this point? Um, and it has prompted Metacritic to acknowledge that review bombing exists on their uh, platform. And they have, there doesn't seem to be any sort of like clear indication of what they're going to be doing here, but they have said that, like, yes, we see it. And yes, we are working towards methods of hopefully trying to curtail it. Um, it's. An interesting sort of like side product of like the the score talking that we were talking about earlier, but like, you know, user scores have become functionally useless because of the way that these, you know, quote unquote culture war campaigns have been uh, run by these bad faith actors, let's say. Uh, and so it is interesting to see a, you know, the biggest score based website sort of um, step in. Yeah, we had a, uh, we had a healthy about debate Does about whether you should, really... performance should uh, influence review score. Should uh, lesbianism influence review score 
<laughs> Only if there's not enough that. of it, you know. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. But like, who who does anybody really take what Metacritic's no. user score seriously? No. <laughs> like, <laughs> the thing is, like, it's it's unfortunate because, like, I feel like it would be a good, in theory, a user score aggregate is a good way for like the average consumer to have their average point of view sort of like mm. congealed and put up next to like a critical point of view. Um, it's just like, it seems impossible to not let it fall into just the worst hands possible. It'd be there really cool if they could, I don't know, like a f- spam. Yeah. I feel like there, there yeah. is right. Like I think like Steam's like name user like, reviews, which people do kind of use as, as like a, a buyer's guide sometimes. I mean, they are prominently displayed, so mm. it'd be hard not to, but I'm fairly sure they have some kind of system put in place. It would surprise me if Metacritic didn't as well, where, yeah, it'll pinpoint review bombs, i.e. A, a massive influx of reviews all at once, um, all negative, uh, and and will kind of uh, use that as data to, to either remove it or to at least examine it further. Mm. Um, one thing I saw that... Uh, I don't know if, who, if, if it was in comment or someone from somewhere said that they could maybe try and get people to link their uh, PlayStation, Xbox, Steam accounts to mm. Um, mm. to the thing to see if you could, if you've actually played it. Cause I know that, you know, obviously with Steam, you, you actually have to mm-hmm. own the game at the very least, I believe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Mm. Yes. Uh, and finally, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom has leaked. It seems like there are, I think it's retail copies have made their way out into the wild. They're now being sold for exorbitant amounts of money, of course. Um, and the internet is is doing what the internet does when it has access to a game early and posting spoilers everywhere. I have seen nothing, fortunately. I, I, I This isn't even a game that the story spoilers would bother me so much. I just don't want to see item combinations yet. Like, let me let me do that shit for myself. Um, but yeah, this is obviously going to have Nintendo feel in some type of way. This is a common thing, though, for them. Like Breath of the Wild leaked, mm. uh, Pokemon leaks. Yeah. They've got a lot of holes somewhere. Um, it does seem... Well, I guess when you're dealing with this many copies of a game going out to retailers in mm. advance of launch, right? Like the inevitability of... And there's just so much interest in Nintendo um, property, Nintendo games. Like, you know, people know that they get their mm-hmm. hands on something like this early and they can sell it. And so... But what are you going to do? How, how do you patch every single hole? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So someone who used to work in logistics, I can tell you that a lot of the shipments that were sent to EV games, those packages would come undone on the conveyor belts and mm-hmm. I would see a lot of copies of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe just slip away, <laughs> wink, wink. So really? there's a lot of, there, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of opportunity, particularly because our operation mm. was fairly low security. That sounds like oh. an admission so, of guilt. Tears of the Kingdom in that environment, <laughs> oh, I didn't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, the story's definitely circulated to try and warn us off, but it was too easy. Like you could, the very low security, you could just off it goes. All right. Um, so with this leak, they've also, you know, people have got access to the physical game. They've actually uploaded the contents of the cartridge online. So people are emula- uh, you know, emulating it on online, which is, I think, what happened with, the Pokemon game and Pokemon maybe even and maybe yeah. even Mario World. Oh, I might have made that up, but not too sure. But I know sounds the like is correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, just bizarre, wild. Yep. Um, Breath of people no. was people were streaming it too on uh, Twitch for a bit. 
So that's and people also did that with uh, Jedi Survivor. Like some people got uh, hands on that pretty early, and yeah, like why would you jump on Twitch immediately, like like paint a giant target on yourself? Especially with what with how how (laughs) Nintendo has uh, treated people that cross them. Oh, well, just while we're talking about Nintendo in the news section, I do want to make a small addendum. Like uh, like a couple of weeks back, we talked about uh, Nintendo um, garnishing that guy's wages for the rest of his life, like the 30% of Yeah, whatnot. that was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I, I thought that was the dude that was responsible for that massive like hack of all of their like history and like all that stuff that they got put online, which was like, you know, artwork and developer oh, no, notes no, no. and all that sort of stuff. I did, I, yeah, completely misunderstood who we were talking about. I stand by that like it is a horrific thing for that company to do. I just want to clarify that I didn't know who I was talking about at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the punishment fits the crime. No, not at all. It's monstrous. Mm. Anyway, news. What do you think? Do you you think it's worth 25 to 30% of your income versus your life to play? Uh, No, I'm not even convinced I'm going to play it. Uh, (laughs) I mean, eventually, sure. but My man. uh, Not not (laughs) the top of my priority list. Not your man. Oh, yeah, um, but not not to the extent of your average Zelda fan, right? Or even your average gamer. I think I uh, I, I do like my narratives in games, and whilst I can appreciate some of the kind of open world sandboxy stuff that they're doing, and it does seem really creative and cool, um, I like a bit more structure, you know, a bit more linearity sometimes. I don't know. It just it, it, it'll never be built for me, uh, which is totally okay. But um, but yeah, I'd love to get to it eventually, especially if it turns out to be really good, which fingers crossed, but yeah. Cool. All right, let's yeah. go to the off topics and we'll hit the home stretch. 90s film of the week. Insert the intro, Jordan. Jordan. Come on, Jordan. Come on, mate. Do it. Uh, yeah. Nathan and James, you've got a 90s film of the week for us. Yeah, Nathan, you can go first. Oh, pleasure. All right, so I'm actually just uh, acquainting or reacquainting myself with this one through weary eyes on the uh, ever-loving Wikipedia page. This is a Robin Williams film from 1997. Come on. Well, well, there's two that I'm thinking of. It's is it Mrs. Jarrett? It's not that one. It's the other one. Okay. Um, Toy. Flubber. Flubber. Yeah, right. boy. <laughs> Flubber. Flubber, he says, like, dumbstruck. I can't believe you've done this. Yeah, decent, uh, look, I Decent film when I was seven. Decent film when I was seven. Do I remember it? No. So there you go. There's an admission of guilt to, uh, for Buddy. I certainly have not watched this. I have not watched this since the 90s, I would say. I remember finding it quite amusing. Oh, look at the green rubbery thing. And I think it probably had a line as like a Macca's Happy Meal toy at one point because I vaguely remember having something of that description at home. Uh, But yeah, it's Robin Williams doing some campy shit around the Mrs. Doubtfire era. Uh, Whether or not that's good, like I think you either love it or hate it. So it's a very particular era of Robin Williams. Is this a good film? As I say, it's been too long since I've seen it. Where does it rank on the critical response? Well, you would be pleased to know that Rotten Tomatoes sits at, at least according to this wiki page, 23% based on 35 reviews. That is wow. one sour tomato. 
An average rating of 4 out of 10. So look, it definitely screams that 90s, you know, blockbuster comedy camp. I, I feel like a lot of those films I watched during the late 90s weren't critical hits. I don't know if that says more about me or the critics. Uh, probably the former. Do we remember Fairly. I certainly do. Never saw it. Never saw it. <laughs> it's a bit of a fever dream. Uh, James, what do you got? Hit us. I have a, a bona fide classic on my hands this week. Uh, oh, we are looking one. at Alicia Silverstone. Zach, what do you reckon? Big fan back in the day. Big fan. <laughs> Unsurprising. Uh, this is the 1995 romantic comedy Clueless. Uh, absolute um, banger of a film. Yeah, all right, all right. Look, you know... Okay. Culturally relevant still, thanks to Charlie XCX and just an all-timer of a movie with uh, Brittany Murphy in it as well. Um, this is sitting on a respectable 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, Paul critics Rudd's got it right idea. this time, apparently. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Can you watch it now? You? Oh, yeah, sure. Why not? No, I mean, like... <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <It's> on stand. <laughs> right. And, and Flubber's on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, there you go, eh? So that's going on a few watch yep. lists. Nice. Now, um, Clueless, genuinely good film. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've definitely seen it a few times over the years. I, I don't know what kind of magic went into it to make it as good as it is, but I do <laughs> think one thing I appreciate about it, and again, it, it varies in, in like circles of academic discussion, but some people have likened it to elements of Emma, Jane, Aust- Jane Austen's Emma, which oh, yeah. is the only Jane Austen film I genuinely enjoy, and I'm always tickled to see adaptations of that in their different forms, because yeah. it's the one Jane Austen film I actually, or book <laughs> I thought was funny. Alicia mm. Silverstone didn't really, you know, that didn't uh... didn't age too well for you. No, her career kind of didn't. Um, That's rude. Skyrocket after that. Sorry, Alicia. Don't Some people have their moment. It's all right. We're still big fans here. All right. Good one. Good job. Uh, Elliot, have you seen Good Will Hunting? Uh, Zach, I'm going to disappoint you. I have not seen Good Will Hunting. <laughs> what the f- Now he's mummy. It's a great Meryl Streep film. <laughs> I like how it's... Fucking hell. All right. Brilliant. Uh, Brilliant. But the question I was going to ask, though, uh, Elliot, have you watched anything uh, recently that you want to share? Uh, are we talking films or anything? Good. Or red? Yeah, I mean... media you have consumed. I like my reality TV. Uh, I know it's awful, but it's also amazing at the same time. Oh, good. I, I think right, I'll give a shout-out to... Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Zach is a We're, big fan. <laughs> I say that with a little sarcasm. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll I'll do you a subscriber. I'll do you a half half. Uh, this is a half us. reality TV show, half scripted comedy. Um, but we started watching Jury Duty, Jury Duty, which is like a. Uh, this is where they have oh, got uh, basically one stooge um, who has or thinks he signed up for Jury Duty in America. Um, uh, however, everybody else involved in the case, uh, the other people on the jury, the judge, everybody is a scripted actor. Um, and so just a whole lot of wild stuff (laughs) happens around this one character, um, who you just get to watch their reactions of all the shenanigans happening around them. And it's fun. So yes, James James Marston plays himself. One. 
Just just how uncomfortable <laughs> has, can we uh, make so him So there you possible? go. There's my shout out. Cool. Nice. Nathan, you watch anything? Or done anything? Uh, Slow Horses Season 2. Oh, Easter. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, definitely didn't stick with me as well as the first one, just okay. because it spent much more time on what I thought were not very well developed or interesting ancillary characters. Um, definitely, like whenever talking... Gary Oldman's on screen, yeah. that's when you're having your best time. Are we are we talking the the town? Uh, eh, like that. That was you know that was a highlight for me. So yeah. like. But there are definitely, like, new characters that have appeared that get yeah, very little yeah. time. They're just there to flesh out the roster. And it definitely meant that it was a much shorter season, but, yeah, it did still kind of feel like there was a little bit of bloat there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just seeing Gary Oldman just be a... I, I won't use that word again, but a degenerate <laughs> is just a lot of fun. He does it very well. And um, the little little teaser it gives you at the end there for season three definitely has me looking like I'll come back for more. It's, it's, a, it's a spy thriller junk food. It's not something mm. that I would say is like a must-watch, but it definitely scratches that itch for me. Cool, James. Uh, I'm. Mm. I really haven't had much time, but I am partway through um, a Aussie comedy uh, drama-ish show called uh, Class of 07, um, which I'm not sure if anyone here has heard anything about. Seen the title card, don't know anything about it. Yeah, it sort of seems like uh, the, the premise is like a. a high school reunion for all girls school on top of a, a giant like mountain in Australia. And then they party. And then at some point the earth cracks open and floods entirely. And they're just stuck up there. Um, it's, <laughs> okay, it's that, absurd. That's a concept. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really into it. Caitlin Stacy is in it and, you know, big fans of her here at the podcast. Um, I'll, I'll check back in once I've, once I've finished it. Nice. Uh, Googling Caitlin Stacy. I got nothing. Really she was in smile. Shit. She was the, the smiling girl. Oh, so she did all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not much to share. Second episode of From Season 2. It's starting to lose me a little bit. Um, it's the kind of show that if it slowed down, I'd be out. Like it maintains an atmosphere and attention, but it's still quite slow paced. Yeah. It's just, I feel like it's going wayward pinesy. Uh, yeah um, okay just, i know what, i know what you're referring to yeah so i just yeah um uh, other than that i finished jason schreier's second book uh, oh and i which, found it really is... really interesting uh press reset i think is that one yeah press reset is the second one super interesting Lo- lots of cool things um the first half i read was like a lot, lot about bioshock and uh yeah about, about bioshock and that Second half goes into a lot of detail about um, 38 Studios. Do you guys remember that whole... Is, is that the, the... Is 38 Studios the Kingdom of Amalur? Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was the... Oh, because that was the whole thing the with Rhode, Rhode Island, Island yeah. and the loans and shit. Yeah, it's like... A, it's Oof. a wild read. Like, this baseball guy, uh, Kurt Schilling, I think his name is, basically... I think that's the name. Um, you know, retired, then wanted to go make a uh, World of Warcraft killer right um so basically hired all these veteran and gun devs paid them good like a good wedge gave them like great perks and just spunked all this money up up like big up names yeah. like ra salvatore and yeah. like the the dungeons and dragons writer um, um fucking one of the oblivion writers yeah i think something like yeah something like that but it also sounds like they got st- stitched up a bit by rhode island as well like um 
they didn't give them all the money. So the loan that they got, they actually didn't give them all the loan money. They only got like 49 mil of the 75 mil that they were promised or something like that. Um, and in the days leading up to their closure, um, and this is what um, that Kurt, Kurt guy kind of attributes to, to the closure itself is like the governor or mayor or whatever it is of, of like Rhode Island uh, gave like a real public broadcast saying that he was fighting to keep the company solvent. And apparently Kingdoms, Kingdoms of Amalar was like hours away from signing a deal with Take-Two to publish the sequel. And then oh, earlier in the morning, the, the mayor or whatever, you know, he said those words and then these guys just fucking bailed. They were like, nah. I always thought it was a shame. It's a, it's a game I always liked, but you can definitely smell the missed opportunity on it because it very much is a, like a franchise setup type of game. Mm. There's so much dense lore and that in there that doesn't get explored. So much sequel building. Yeah, it's, yeah. So it's just um, make sure it kind of opens your eyes a little bit as to how fucked like the like the video game uh, world is like as a career like making games. Just how uh, replaceable you are and how easy it is just to you know you could ship one sweet game and then just get you know there's no project so you bumped off and yeah it's a bit sad. Hmm. Not the industry for me. Yeah. Great to stand on the sidelines and throw tomatoes at it. That's it. Alrighty. Shall we wrap it up? Anybody got anything else they want to share? No. Well, Elliot, it's been a pleasure. It's been great to have you you. on. Thank you for sharing. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thanks, Elliot. Um, Always, always welcome. Um, if people want to check you uh, out, yeah, I mean, you'll see most of my work on checkpointgaming.net, or if you like listening to things, which I guess you probably do if you're listening to this. Uh, uh, yeah, the Checkpoint Gaming podcast. Just search Checkpoint on Joy. Um, Joy is the FM radio station we broadcast off. Um, yeah, that's probably your best bets. Cool. Amazing. Well, lads. Nice James, I'll yeah, be mate. with you right now when people are listening to this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Coming thank you down. for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. You can check, check out the content on www.well-play.com.au and have a good week end. I think next week's a big week. I can't remember. Maybe. Who knows? Anyway, it'll be a good mm. week regardless, I'm sure. So You've got me tantalized. We will speak. Maybe I'll come back. Then. Bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. See you then.